NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. Welcome, viewers, and thanks for joining us in this collab where we will be discussing some of the things educators have learned about adapting their instruction in the time of COVID. Like I said, this is a collab, and for us in the National Writing Project, that means a working session where we take up a problem, work on it, and put it out there for folks who might want to tune in. So, in this session, we're taking up the questions what are we teaching, or what are we what are we learning about teaching in different models of virtual and hybrid learning? And what kinds of challenges are we still thinking through? So today I am lucky enough to be joined by four amazing uh, National Writing Project teacher leaders, all working in different contexts with very different designs for virtual and hybrid learning. So they'll be sharing some of the tools and strategies that they found to be most useful in adapting their instruction for young writers. And we'll also have an opportunity to talk through some of the challenges they're still facing um, and together see if we can think through some strategies for working through those challenge. So um, let's go ahead and get on to the introduction so that you have a sense of where people are coming from. So we're gonna hear just a little bit uh, from each teacher about their teaching context will tell us about who they are, where they're from, what students they teach, and what is the nature of instruction um, in their place. And so I'm just going to go around my screen and um, have Casey go first. Okay. Hi, everybody. I'm Casey Olson. I'm a teacher in Columbus, Montana. I'm with the Elk River Writing Project in Montana been teaching for about 18 years. I teach 10th and 12th grade language arts. And um, so I started the school year, I did five weeks in person teaching outside uh, on the bleachers of the high school uh, football field and track. And um, I'm uh, at risk, I've, I've got uh, diabetes. So I've been trying to really social distance. So I started out five weeks of teaching outside when it started to get too cold in Montana, uh, I shifted to at home. So my situation is I'm remote teaching in-person students. Uh, and I've got a, a long-term sub who is in my room with my students, but I am on the screen on Zoom all day long. But at the same time, I've got a bunch of remote students and I've got a like revolving door of quarantine students going in and out. Um, so, that's, that's my current context. Thank you, Casey. Uh, Kristen, will you go next? Sure. I'm Kristen Treese. I am teaching this year at White Swan High School. Um, this is my seventh year in that district, and I have been teaching 9th through 11th grade in various capacities. Um, I'm a teacher leader for the Central Washington Writing Program. And um, yeah, so my high school is on the Yakima Reservation. So we're a public school on um, a Native American reservation, which, you know, has a whole host of um, really interesting challenges that we come up with every day. And uh, yeah, so our K through eighth graders are hybrid, but our ninth through 12th graders are still 100% online. So I sit in my classroom by myself all day talking to names <laughs> instead of 
people. So yeah, that's my context. Thank you, Kristen. Kelsey? Uh, I'm Kelsey DeCamelis. I work with Eastern Michigan Writing Project um, at Eastern Michigan University as an instructional coach and a research assistant on the RITEL grant, um, which is basically similar to the I3 grant, if you're familiar with that. With um, we're, we're looking at the C3WP curriculum and how it impacts um, English learners' argument writing skills. Um, so I work, I coach 16 teachers who are also master's students in the TESOL program, master's program at, um, at EMU. Uh, so much of my work this year has been trying to take as much of the load off of them for implementing these units by adapting them for online instruction. So I spent a bunch of time towards the beginning of the year kind of trying to make it as easy as possible for them to have materials to work with. Um, yeah, that, that's been a big focus of this year for me. Great, thank you, Kelsey and Audrey. Hi, I'm Audrey Swanson and I am a fellow in the Boise State Writing Project and I teach in McCall, Idaho, in Central Idaho Mountains, a town of about 3,000. And this year I'm teaching a combination of in-person and online classes at our high school. I teach sophomore English to all the sophomores, but half of them online every day. And then I teach drama in person every day. So I have a co-teacher, a teacher partner, who is teaching the other half of the sophomores in person while I'm online with the other half. And our instruction is continuous. So basically we teach one lesson right after another because we have an alternating Friday schedule. Sometimes we're teaching the same lesson the same day online and in person. And um, the interesting thing in this context, I think this year, maybe from a student perspective, and students probably wouldn't use the word interesting, but sophomore English is the only course in our hybrid operation mode where students have to attend a live class on their offsite day. So I don't think I'm too many students' favorite teacher this year, but I'm still holding out for next year. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks to all of you. So as we can see, and it's not a surprise that we have a pretty like wide representation of some of the teaching context that, that these folks are working in. And we know that there are many others too. So um, that there's all different kinds of ways that schools and districts and teachers have tried, are working to create safe um, learning environments for students and for teachers. So there are many others. What we know that is that all of them, regardless of the situation, are bringing new challenges, they're bringing problems to solve, but hopefully also maybe some bright spots, insights, or surprises, things that we might not have expected. So I'd actually like to start our discussion with that um, and just ask, you know, folks who are here, is there anything that surprised you about the teaching context that you're in right now? Or are there new insights that you've gained about young people, their lives, or the ways that they learn? And we'll just open that up to anybody who wants to, to jump in. Okay, so I'll, I'll start. I, I, I think I need to just name this. And I, I think the thing that, um, that has surprised me and that has given me insight about students is 
I, I have so much fatigue. Like I am not even, I, I was not prepared for how much this was going to affect me physically and, and mentally. And I think what I, my new insight is that I, I realized that it's affecting my students just as much. And that, that's what I've noticed. Yeah, I, I've over the last few years kind of taken pride in how I feel connected to my students and like have a pretty good sense of what's going on in their lives and in their homes. And this year has shown me that I have no idea. Absolutely none. I don't know what they're dealing with. I have a surface level understanding. And so that's been kind of a wake up call for me, trying to accommodate some of the most extreme um, situations. We have like a 30% homeless rate right now within our district. Mm -hmm. And so trying to work with those kids and track them down because they're couch surfing and all of these things that we don't really think about when we see them every day in person. Um, is It's been really surprising just how much I don't actually know, mm -hmm. <laughs> if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that that's one of the things that's been the most surprising to me is just hearing all of the different contexts that my all of my teachers are teaching in and how vastly different all of them are because um, because, because of the fact that they're all simply master's students in this program who are agreeing to participate in the study, there's just a ton of different teaching contexts. And so I've got teachers who have 100% attendance, no problems, like pretty much teaching as normal. And then I, I was just talking to one of my um, coaches last week and she was saying that none of her boys come to class actively because they're all working. Mm -hmm. They're all going to jobs that they have the time for now because they're not physically in school. So they will join on their phones, but they're not actively participating. And, and then there are you know tons of other issues with Eng English learners in particular. A lot of people are running into, oh, great, we can get them a computer, but they don't know that like the words for how to access Google Classroom or, mm -hmm. and so it's, it's constantly sort of running into, okay, how are we gonna deal with this now? <laughs> All right, we lost Audrey for a minute to a snowstorm, but she's back. So welcome back, Audrey, and tell us like what just happened and what did we have to work through? Well, I just was thinking that I, I'm, I'm glad to be back and I, I think it's actually beneficial for me to have experienced some of the challenges my students are facing this year, which is what, how many passcodes and IDs you need to call into a meeting um, and uh, what, what to do in a blackout when you're just trying to get your homework done. <laughs> Exactly. Well, thank you, Audrey. We just, um, while you were gone, we just had started talking about the first question. Um, we were thinking about uh, things that have 
surprised you or that been unexpected? And um, we talked a little bit about, you know, just how challenging this is for teachers and students and, you know, even more so than you you might expect. And I was wondering also if people, you know, had things to say, like, are there some bright spots out there, some things that you've noticed that you might not have noticed if we weren't teaching in these contexts or that you've learned about working with with teachers and students. And I think Kelsey was gonna jump in with that. Yeah, sure. So one of the things that was, I think the most surprising to me was <laughs> we had our training for C3WP for our new teachers coming in who were going to have to implement this year when we had no idea in summer, but whether or not we were going back and what it was going to look like. And so they were all fresh off of a terrible end of a year and all zoomed out and just like it was it was tough and um they were really really concerned about being able to do this and being able to find time and just a way to implement four cycles of c3wp in, online a new or a new program online that they've never taught before and so they were really nervous and pretty skeptical about it. And um, we had our first, we have monthly meetings. So we had our first meeting in September and then our next meeting in October and someone had done one of the units and they were like, oh yeah, it's great. It went, it went super fast and the kids loved it. And so they started to hear these little chimes of maybe it's possible. And so now I think almost, I think, all of the teachers who are the brand new teachers have all taught one cycle and they came back to our December meeting just so on fire for C3WP and really excited to do their second cycle and they were just talking about how much the kids loved it and um, they were saying things like my coworkers are noticing how great it is and I'm just so excited about it so that was I was not expecting that to happen, to be honest, just because it was like, I'm sorry to put one more thing on you this year. Mm -hmm. um, but they really took to it and it was just really great. <laughs> so yeah, I think I think it's interesting because that shows how, you know, a program like C3WP that we know works in like a traditional instruction setting, but all lots of other things that teachers have done for years and years that work and that that I am hearing about people who are finding bright spots and ways to take something like that that they've done in the past that works and still do it in a in a virtual space and find you know positives out of that so yeah that's a that's a great example um I'm also Audrey I'm going to see if you'll jump in because we recently had a conversation and you'll be able to say more about it where you talked about students really in this context really wanting to make connections with other students and with teachers and and is that something you might not have expected I wonder if you would say a little bit ab about that and what you've noticed with students in that way yeah I um and let me know if you can't hear me or if there's a problem with audio but I I guess I've been impressed at the developing importance of like Rachel said students still being able to connect and work with each other, even in a virtual context. And I saw this in the case of um, giving feedback for a writing piece, peer feedback. And um, we did, uh, you know, students submitted 
their piece to a writing assistance technology like to EasyBib, and then they also did um, actually on paper and then just sent a scan a feedback friends form for uh, one of their classmates. And then they reviewed those two together, and a lot of the students said, "Oh my gosh, my or they said my friends, my feedback friends' feedback was so much more valuable because." They knew where I was coming from. They knew the purpose I was writing for. They knew my audience. And uh, I saw in that not only a review of feedback, but that students valued the connection with each other, even in the chat versus desk to desk in the classroom. Um, and that's just one way that I've seen a bright spot this year of kids trying to get what they need and trying to make things work even if they're uh, at work on their phone and it's busy and loud, or you know they um, have a computer shut down and then they get on their email and their emailing me. So uh, I've been surprised that when even when circumstances are kind of laid bare, most kids do care about their education and about the roles of their classmates and their teacher and their education and about learning how to manage their lives so they can get what they need out of it. Mm -hmm. That's great, thank you. So any other last thoughts about this, unexpected things or surprises that you've come across before we move on? Casey, you're nodding, did you have yeah, something? Yeah, I just, I, just to, to jump on what Audrey said, I, I think I, I started out the year teaching outside every day uh, for five weeks and I, um, I like teaching outside. I've done it like off and on, but I've never done it like five days straight uh, at weeks at a time. So I, um, I noticed that after like schools had shut down the previous spring, that when the students came back in person, they were showing up like 20 minutes before mm -hmm. they normally would have, maybe even more. I, I would, I would pull up uh 30 minutes early for work and there would be kids waiting outside in our outdoor classroom space waiting for us and just like ready to start mm -hmm. and i i guess that is what really surprised me is that it, what was able to work with all these challenges um i uh took na the national writing projects college career community writers program materials and was able to use them outside and teach and we I taught two cycles of writing instruction with the C3WP program outside um, so like like the support that I have had throughout my career and I've been in this for 18 years now I still see how the National Writing Project has supported me through um, what I've been experiencing in my in my teaching life in this in this past year and um, it still works, even in these challenging circumstances. The kids are still writing really, really well um, in response to um, some of these resources. So I um, have been really encouraged, and, and that's carried on since I've moved online uh, these past couple months. Uh, it's, it's held true. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you. Oh, 
Okay, so now we know we want to hear from you. We know that you've been like trying so many things to figure out what works with students, how to reach them. And you know, other teachers always want to hear about like the strategies that are helpful, tools that you found that are really helpful that they could pick up and use and try out in their classrooms. So um, now I want to take a few minutes to just talk through what are, do you have any like a couple, one or two or three takeaways from the first semester when you think about how your instruction has shifted and what kinds of things you've done and learned. And actually for all of you back into last spring was when we all started this. So, or what tools and strategies have you found to be most useful in adapting your instruction? You can just jump in with, you know, either takeaways or tools that have been really helpful to you. And knowing that like, I guarantee not everybody knows about anything that you found that works. So go ahead and throw it out there. Um, I'll jump I'll in. I'll start. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm, I'm blind, so I'll start before I have to navigate. <laughs> um, I, I was thinking about, and, and maybe this is a good thing for people to build on because it's pretty general, how important I've learned that scaffolding and gradual progression is um, just of, of learning context and environment, not just content and skills. But um, it's still really, it's you know, at the forefront of good instruction, even in a totally different classroom. And examples of this, what I'm talking about is like, I took my kids, we operate on Microsoft Teams, and I wanted to use breakout rooms early in the year before they were available in Teams. So we went on a field trip to Zoom from Teams to try to get to breakout rooms. And I, you know, I lost more kids than I've ever lost on a regular field trip, but we had to try it out. Um, yeah, I realized that I had to, um, I needed like an instructional activity that was very writing project X-esque that had, you know, um, a goal in terms of our course and our curriculum, but also that was showing them how to access the main chat and to send me a chat and how to start a chat with their partner. Um, we did a, you know, speaking individually, I had to teach them how to do that virtually, right? So I did that with the Poetry Out Loud day, and I just remember that was like probably one of my biggest triumphs of first semester was the day that each kid said their title and author of a poem out loud on their microphone. So um, just kind of putting myself back in that frame of mind that um, we don't we don't know the rules here, and we don't know how to get from our desk to the bathroom and we need the teacher to make us feel comfortable with those things so we can succeed with how she wants us to use them. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, everybody, regardless of what platform people are working in, whether it's Zoom or Google Meets or if they've got Google Classroom or all these different things, once it becomes so heavy on that, yeah, you got to slow down and take time to help them know how to live in that genre, right? Like whatever, whatever that space is, how do people use chat or do private chat or move in and out of breakout rooms or, um, yeah, those are really good points that we, people have to, are taking really slowing down and teaching those digital literacy skills as, as part of this. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Kristen, you were going to jump in. Um, I have kind of learned to not take anything for granted. Like knowledge-wise, the simplest things on how to do, like Audrey said, like how do I access this feature on Google Classroom? My kids 
don't know it. We've been using Google Classroom for years and years, but you know, it's not something we needed before. And so taking nothing for granted as far as how to function um, on this online platform. So I've really, the beginning of the year started off with like this whole long list of online platforms and tools and things that I was gonna use and I was super jazzed. And I have decided the last few months, um, I only use Google, any of the Google suite stuff. Like that's all I use now. Um, Google Forms has saved me with like quizzes and tests. Like I've converted all of my To Kill a Mockingbird quizzes onto Google um, Forms and it's worked awesome. Like it works so well. And, you know, Jamboard has been really great for, um, those more discussion-y things um, instead of, you know, writing on the whiteboard, we write on the Jamboard. Um, so yeah, I've really, really fallen in with the Google world. Definitely drank the Kool-Aid. <laughs> no, but it also shows like you figure out what works, right? And you, there's tons of tools that are out there. And like with any kind of instruction, you want to figure out what what tool best does the thing you want to do the best like what in experience do you want students to have what kind of feedback are they getting or you know how can you do formative assessments and it's clear that you have found this thing that works for you and your students and that's what it is and it does you know for some people it's other things but I've noticed lots of teachers who are just really looking into like what is what's the best tool for the thing I want to do and not just using tools for the sake of tools but like what is what experience what I want students to have face-to-face -face, and how can I get as close as possible to that in the context I'm working in. So, yeah, thank you. Anything so else? Go ahead, Casey. I, I, um, I don't know, like I, it's, I've had to do a lot of introspection, like who am I as a teacher in this year? And like, I, I wasn't ready for all that. And it, that's sometimes depressing, but I, <laughs> I, I used to be the technology guy in my building, you know, and I was the one that was up on everything. And I'm somewhere I like I didn't realize it, but I'm I got pretty settled into like like this is who I am and this is what I do. And the technology I realized passed me by. And so um, I'm I'm up on all of Google. I, I love Google. I use Google a lot. Um, but when we all got shut down in the, in the spring. I, I was lost. It, I just, I, I, it was hard to keep things going. It was, um, you know, the whole district was just saying, just simplify everything, make it super easy. Um, and we were just trying to get through it. And I, like, it made me feel like a really, really bad teacher uh, um, through the spring. And so by the time summer rolled around and I could take a breath, I was thinking, okay, how do I, how do I get through? I don't, I don't know what's coming. I have no idea what the new year is going to look like. And so I, I finally settled on that I needed to, to like make something structured that no matter what we went through, it would still work. And so I was going to try and come back in person. So it still needed to work if we got shut down. And if my kids are remote, that it should still work the same for them. Um, so I used... Google is my base platform, and um, I picked up uh, Pear Deck, 
I, I ended up, Pear Deck has a 90 day uh, free trial. I used Pear Deck and it, it let me create interactive slideshows that then I could like develop lessons on. So I could bring a Chrome, Chromebook cart outside when I was teaching outside, those students could go through a lesson, I could lead it or they could go through it like student led, student paced. And then the remote learner could do the same thing at home and go through the same lesson or a quarantine student could do the same thing and go through the same lesson. And then when I shifted online, it worked the same. Um, and I found that Zoom was a really good partner for that. So I bought the pro subscription to Zoom and I could record classes. I could um, do breakout rooms if it, if it worked out that day, that way. And now I can upload every video of every class to my Google Classroom. So I have a daily post with the daily classroom video. So students who are quarantined or remote can watch class on their own time whenever they're, they're free. And there's a Pear Deck usually, usually I'm not using them every day if I'm trying to mix it up, but usually there's a Pear Deck and I try to do a student paced one that I send out to the remote learners and a teacher led one, usually a teacher would led one when I'm in the classroom. But it just, it really opened up doors and I could develop lessons that I've done before that I'm used to doing in person in a classroom um, or NWP resources, I could develop them into Pear Deck lessons and, you know, have artifacts that I could use to, to um, do assessment, measurement, but also just artifacts that I could reflect on as a teacher and like, what do I need to do next? What do I need to change? Things like that. Welcome back, Audrey. Your power's back on. <laughs> I'm, I'm just struck as I'm listening to Kristen and Casey and to all of this, like I continue to feel like it's important for us to stop and acknowledge how much teachers are doing to make things work for all of their students right now. The thing, you know, Casey says, I bought the premium version of Pear Deck and I made this and I did videos and I did, you know, no matter where they're coming from. And I think these are these stories are true of teachers all over the place who are just putting in so much time and energy and extra work to make sure that they can reach reach all of their students. And I'm going to ask uh, Kristen, we talked a little, we've talked a little bit about this. So um, I know that you have done a lot to to create asynchronous resources for your students. I'm wondering if you'll tell us a little bit about where that's come from and like what kinds of things you, you have done to make those um, accessible to students. Yeah, um, I was thinking, cause we have to do packets uh, for the kids that have no internet. So I was like printing off all of these things and I was like, wow, um, I thought I was pretty like paperless classroom before this and now like I could do everything online um and I think that uh my shift in asynchronous uh lessons kind of helped with that so um this summer I worked really hard to shift the C3WP resources that I know are big hitters um shift them onto like step-by-step -step, um like essentially paced out worksheets that they I can put on Google uh, a Google Doc, and I can insert videos with instructions, and I can um, really break down the instructions so that if they're not there, they still have an idea of what we're doing. Um, it's super scaffolded, more than I've ever done it before. Um, it really breaks it down um, to work for those kids that can't come to Zoom. So. 
yeah and like Casey said like I record so much and now I have like this huge bank of lessons and resources that I'm going to be able to use so that's exciting like won't have to do that kind of stuff again um yeah so like trying to find those ways to transition everything that I used to pass out onto Google Doc and like graphic organizers and things like that. Like I've just become a wizard <laughs> figuring out how to do these things um, to make it work. So no, it's a lot, a lot, a lot of trial and error. Yeah, you got to adapt. Mm -hmm. I, I, I just thought, remembered early on, um, we, you know, the students did a lot of that Pear Deck stuff on their own phones. And then I just had to have some Chromebooks nearby for kids who didn't have data or like didn't like, didn't have a phone to use or didn't have a smartphone. So, but yeah, just trying to adapt and like make sure that everybody has equal access to what we're trying to do. So Kelsey, I know you've adapted a lot of materials for teachers and you used, you know, different things to, to do that. So are there any like really high leverage tools that you think are working with teachers or students or any major takeaways from the work you've done to, to adapt materials for online learning? Yeah, sure. Um, I have already started going back to the first cycles that people taught and went, mm, I'm, I don't like the way that I changed that. I'm gonna fix that. So Marty's going back to improve um, based on what works. And I think that the biggest thing that I found for C3WP in particular um, is that there are so many places for them to go that it's awful for online learning. So what I, I attended a really great, um, I gotta say his name, uh, Jeremy Heiler um, at the Chippewa River Writing Project. He did a training on HyperDocs Mm -hmm. um, which I kind of knew about as a concept, but didn't really know how to build one effectively. Um, and he shared a lot of really great resources and all of that is free on their website too. So like go over there and <laughs> go through it because it's really good stuff. But um, so I made, I have made hyperdocs for all of the units that I've adapted. And basically a hyperdoc is just a huge document um, and the way that I've done it is it's a workspace, it's an instruction space, and it has all of the links that they could possibly need all in their one assignment. So it's not multiple assignment pages, it's not multiple, you know, turn in this document on Tuesday and this next document gets assigned on Wednesday. It's all just in one document and they turn it in as they, some teachers are having them turn it in as they go. Some teachers are just having them turn it in at the very end. Um, but I think that that's been the biggest, the biggest uh, ad adaptation that I made that has been, has gotten a lot of great feedback. People are like, they, because the other side of it is that a lot of the students are on school provided Chromebooks and many of those don't have really enough capability to have more than one or two tabs open, especially when Zoom is on. Mm -hmm. So they're finding that having just one document open is really helpful for them. So I've, um, I've gone back, I think my first unit, I had like a couple of different pages of documents and I just threw them all into one document. I was like, this is, it's just way more effective for them to have one space to work in. Mm 
Mm -hmm. I think that's probably the biggest one. Um, for English learners, I did make um, in the, and in some of the hyperdocs, but in some of the guiding um, Google slides that I made, I added GIFs um, as models. So I would show what, so in, in the hyperdoc, in the teacher model hyperdoc, I would show here's where you put your claim, here's where you put your evidence, and it was a new gift for each thing. So it's this repeating loop that the students have, um, and, it's, and it's wordless too. So they just have the visual of like, got it, that's where I put that. Um, that's also been a really awesome, helpful thing that people have said has worked really well. Great, so we'll, um, yeah, and we can provide links to all of these things for people to have access to um, and, and any others that we have to share. But I want to shift. And one thing we wanted to do was take a little bit of time to work through, you know, a challenge that people are facing and talk together as a group about ideas or questions. And, you know, that I, I mean, I think none of us have completely solved this problem yet. And so this is a, a, a time for us to just really think about what might we do to make this better? And so um, this challenge actually came from Audrey, um, something that she's been thinking about with her students. So I'll say what it is and then Audrey, you can jump in and add to it and then we can open up and maybe do like about 10 more minutes of conversation around this particular challenge of fostering meaningful relationships in the, in the virtual classroom. So Audrey, would you talk a little bit about what you're thinking there and then we can open it up to thoughts from the group. I think that um, where somewhere where this comes from is probably not just strictly my English classroom, but I also teach drama and we can't, we can't have drama without having meaningful relationships. You're like, I have plenty of drama in my meaningful relationships, right? <laughs> I just thought, okay, I need this. Um, and I need this interpersonal dynamic developed to know how to operate in a classroom with students and I, I don't know how to teach without having um, some common ground with kids and without providing them with ways and spaces to connect. So uh, the chat has been you know, semi-useful for that. Thanks Rachel for the elbow buddies. My kids this week are like buddies again. <laughs> um, but it's really hard, Kristen, like you mentioned just earlier um, prior to starting here when you just see names on a screen and Sometimes you have a class, I have one class that everybody has their camera on, and then I have another class that nobody has their camera on, and they don't know that in other classes, kids have their cameras on. And so it's hard to know um, how to build a bridge as a teacher for kids to make those connections when we're just learning how to operate in our own space. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what, that's kind of like, Casey, what you were saying to kids showing up early on the bleachers. I know that in some regard, that's what gets kids to class is knowing that their friends are going to be on the same class in the same class because they're going to a soccer game later. Um, and I just have been kind of at a loss this year on how to preserve that and build momentum with that. So what I'm, th and I'm thinking something that might be helpful, like we might have ideas for things you all have already done, but it also might be helpful to think back to when you were in a classroom full time with your students, what kinds of things did you do there that we could think about maybe how that would translate to an online environment. So Audrey's talking about uh, the elbow buddies thing. I went to um, a great 
PD experience that was offered by um, the Boise State Writing Project here, where they were sharing a bunch of strategies that they'd use for virtual learning. And they had us do elbow buddies and do private chat. So we were assigned an elbow buddy and anytime it was time to like talk and turn and talk, you already knew who your elbow buddy was and you would just chat with that person. And so that was one thing that I was like, oh my gosh, that's great. Like I know that experience in the classroom is one way to build community is to have give students opportunities to stop and, and process. So that was really eye-opening to me. So, so maybe there are things that you all have tried or if you think back to things you did in your classroom and you're like, you know, like Audrey, what did you do in the past with your drama students to try to build community? And even if you don't know what that looks like now, we could say, well, I used to do this thing. I wonder what the version of that might look like in, in virtual learning. So just some things to think about as we talk a little bit more about this, this problem that um, challenge that Audrey is thinking through. Hi. Hi at the door at the door of our virtual classroom, right? I say hi to every kid, say their name. I, they have to say hi back to me, mic, camera, or chat. Um, and that, I like that and it, kids seem recognized. So that's one thing that I was like, okay, I'm not standing in the hallway smiling, but we're still gonna do that. Uh, we do emoji responses, right? When we came back from winter break, I said, send an emoji in your chat to sum up your break, your holiday your new year. And um, I, I said, I'm not going to ask you to explain more about any of those emojis. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So I, I like um, a couple things. I, Pear Deck uh, that I've already mentioned before, Pear Deck asks them right when they log in uh, what their mood is. And so I get an icon next to each mm -hmm. of their names that labels them with whatever they chose in response to that. And I like one of the fears I've had in that relationship process is my relationship with them individually in order to like get to know them. Because I mean, a lot of these students I'm meeting for the first time in the middle of a pandemic mm -hmm. and, and I'm, I'm trying to establish that teacher student relationship. So like getting insight into their um, social emotional life right now is, seems really important to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I've tried a couple NWP tricks, like um, we, we did the, like at some of the conferences I've been to, like we'll like meme the conference. And so like there was one really, well, it was the, it was the Friday before we left for uh, winter break. And I, it was so stressful. It was heavy in the school. It was heavy just in the, on the calls I was on with them. And, and so I just said, okay, I'm throwing out my lesson plan. We'll return to that when we come back in January let's make memes. And I, I had, I had seen a, another teacher doing this on Twitter and I just thought, let's do it. And I, I gave them a couple different links and they made so much fun of me and like made fun of class. They were making fun of the things I'm always talking about, making fun of the content of the class, but yet you could look at the, like the memes and say, okay, they're getting this in order to make the joke about it. And I don't know. It, it lightened it up. It, it let us have some fun. It let us like talk over. We've made a, Google slideshow and they all would put their memes in it. And then at the end of class, I, I ran through all their memes for them. And I don't know, it really lightened things up. You know, we have to get through the curriculum. It's like, how hard would it be to be a freshman mm. your first year of high school and you don't even get to see anybody at all? <laughs> mm. And so I think that that, you know, 
taking a day or a portion of your class to do something fun and like goofy and even just to say, all right, you guys are going in breakout rooms. Here's, you know, a weird picture or a meme or something and go talk about it or don't talk about it and just talk to each other. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard of a couple of my teachers who have just been giving breakout room time to go talk to each other because that's something that is really missed. I had one teacher who was in person for a while and I was able to observe her classroom virtually. And just hearing kids talk at each other, it was like, it's so different than all of the virtual classes that I've observed where nobody says anything. Mm -hmm. And there's maybe one kid in the chat cracking jokes and, but you can hear even though they're spaced apart, you know, and it really is very similar to online learning because they're not really allowed to move in the classroom. Just being able to shout out like, what? You know, <laughs> or some sassy remark. It's like, that's part of the classroom building that can't happen as easily, especially for groups that are just, they don't know each other yet. And yeah, so I think that that's important to just give them some goofy time. The, the Zoom, uh pro account allows you to do breakout rooms in zoom as well and so i really like that um i i haven't been able to use it as much since i have major usually the majority of my students are in person in school mm -hmm. um but there's been a couple occasions where i've had more than half the class called in on the zoom because they're home quarantined and like there's like a handful of kids in the classroom and we've been able to do some breakout rooms that way. So I could assign a kid who's in the classroom with somebody who's remote and then they could, they could have their breakout room. Um, but it, that, that features work really well for anytime I'm in like leading a professional development too. So like, like that feature is awesome. And so it, it makes it well worth um, getting a subscription for it. But um, yeah, so Pear Deck has a whole, like template list of um, social emotional uh, template slides that you can insert into your slideshow just to get like the pulse of how everybody's doing and talking. And I, I guess I, I hear in Audrey's question here, like <laughs> that we're all like, we're supposed to be socially distanced. We're, we're having trouble like having an actual student if you are in person having a student turn and talk to another student there's there's problems involved with that so trying to make those connections with each other and also um with the teacher c3wp's um student uh using sources tool has been really good for peer response to get them to read each other's writing mm -hmm. and I've, I've used that through google forms like what Kristen was saying, I, I love Google Forms and, and getting them to respond to each other. They get feedback on each other's papers and like that building their relationship with each other, but around their, their own writing. That's a, been another positive. Yeah, um, I hadn't even thought about using Google Forms for the um, NWP rubric. That's brilliant. Um, but I wanted to kind of piggyback on the breakout rooms because I feel like our district kind of put the fear of God in us with like monitoring those breakout rooms. And so we've been really hesitant to use breakout rooms in our um, district, which is, it's fine. Um, but I have 
a class that just rocks breakout rooms. And I have two classes that I never put in breakout rooms because they can't handle it. Mm -hmm. And then I have one class that it kind of depends. But the the class that um, really takes off with breakout rooms, my best strategy that I've come up with is a Google Doc that everybody edits at the same time. And I am monitoring and typing into that Google Doc at the same time. So I'm watching them get work done. I'm making sure they're on the right track. Um, and they know I'm watching them, even if I'm not in the breakout room with them, they know that I'm there. Um, so that's been the most successful as far as collaboration opportunities that my kids have had. But like <laughs> my first period, 10th graders are too asleep to even try that so it just doesn't work so, yeah, yeah. I was thinking about that too Chris and I was going to bring it up this idea of having collaborative Google Docs functioning in different ways where students are writing together and you can and teachers can see that either to provide feedback or to support them or to say like oh nothing's happening in that Google Doc I should probably hop in there and and see what's going on. But also I know I know of some models I don't know if this is the case with any of you but in some places where classes are an hour long and it's set up for 20 minutes of teacher instruction and then 40 minutes of independent work from students but it occurred to me that doesn't have to be independent right like you might turn off zoom but the idea is you're going into a google doc with three other people in your group to to interact with each other and to still like collaborate and we do i mean all we do a lot of that kind of stuff in professional development with teachers, but I've seen more and more teachers who are using those collaborative Google Docs as a place to, to, to see what's happening with students, but also to, to give them another way to interact with each other. And a lot of times reluctant students thrive in that kind of environment, just like they might thrive in the chat where they wouldn't speak up and say something, but I feel like I can write in this place or comment um, I'm in that place. And I wanted to go back just real quickly to, to this other point about taking time to do things that are fun and, and not, I mean, feel so much pressure, I think right now to blast through things or to make sure to make the most of every minute of Zoom. But when you imagine what usually, what does a class usually look like if you're, especially if you're in secondary, like the, the first bell rings and students start coming in and while they're waiting for everybody else to show up in class to start, they're talking to each other and they're joking and they're sharing things. And then at the beginning of the class, it, you know, may, may, I'm sure, yeah, there's lots of teachers out there probably might jump in, but for the most part, like, I think we take time and, and share and, and talk and that they can, you know, yell out like, hey, wait, what did you just say? You know, or here's a story about my life, you know, and so I think, it can be easy when we feel this pressure of the Zoom box to let to let that go, but let's. I think it's a great idea to give ourselves permission to do things that are fun and funny and the kinds of interactions that would happen in a in a classroom that I think will help. You know, those help kids want to turn their cameras on and see each other um, and engage in the chat. So. Thank you all. I know we didn't. Um, I do want to take just one quick last go around. Um, this was a great conversation, wonderful ideas, and even more for us to think about. But I'd love to hear from each one of you just like one thing that you're taking from this that you that you want to try or that you're going to keep in mind or that's like a next step for you based on um, on what you heard in in our in our conversation today. So maybe I'll go. Audrey, would you mind going first? I make fun of 
virtual class, I make fun of teams all the time for being not fun. So Casey, I'm emailing you. I want to do memes like tomorrow. Can you oh, that's, that's cool. <laughs> End of semester one is this week. So uh, yeah, I, I, you know, it's like, I'm already like, this isn't fun already. Why would I try to do something fun? We already hate this, but we should make fun of how we hate it. So I can do that. Thank you. <laughs> Great. Audrey. Kelsey, what about you? I love that idea too. I'm going to share that with my, all my teachers. <laughs> um, I really want to look more into Pear Deck. I tried things with Nearpod and then they made it paid and my life got kind of flipped upside down from that. So I've I've always known about Pear Deck, but I've never really dug into it. But it, I really like the idea of the social emotional stuff. I didn't know that they did that. So thanks for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Casey? Yeah, so I, I think this, the question that we tackled here at the end is really like, because I, I, I'm torn. Do, like, how much time do I spend on this social emotional and how much do I devote to content? And, you know, I, I think the bright spots, it, I just realized the bright spots in my year so far have been the ones where I devoted it to like, hey, how's everybody doing? Uh, let's let's do something fun. And um, I, so one I didn't get to mention was Flipgrid too. I've, I've heard about Flipgrid for years and um, I like I finally saw another teacher do it in, in a C3WP uh, lesson that I picked up from somebody else. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like, why haven't I been doing this all these years? And they get to see each other's ideas and they get to see each other talk through things. So I think I, I really want to explore how to do that more. Um, maybe with Flipgrid, maybe um, looking at ways to, but, but I really need to like find ways to get them talking to each other more. And I, I, I really am taking that away from this conversation. Great, thank you. Casey, Kristen. Um, I am going to dig into the HyperDoc idea. Um, I think I had a vague idea of how that might work, but I, I would like to look more into um, making that a little more functional, I think. And so, and also Pear Deck. Um, yeah, I hadn't heard it described in that way, so I didn't know that was the capability of it. So those are probably my two that I'm going to make sure I look into. Great. Well, thank you all so much for being here. This was a, an amazing conversation. You are amazing educators. Hang in there. You really are doing great things. And, uh, and I know that people are going to benefit so much from what they've heard here. Um, so thank you all and have a good night. We will see you soon. Thank you. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. NWP Radio.